0: Welcome to the work of warriors, a podcast dedicated to bringing mental wellness to the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Kim Ravage. This podcast is dedicated to the artists we've lost to mental health, addiction and suicide and to those who are still suffering in silence. Hello everyone, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Robin Arruti, a multifaceted artist, photographer, and former psychotherapist whose remarkable career has spanned various creative and healing pursuits. With a passion for capturing the beauty and emotion of animals, Robin has made an indelible mark on the world of pet photography and dog rescue. Her journey into the art world began with a profound love of animals, leading her to continue her photography skills with her dedication to rescuing and caring for dogs. I have to tell you, I've seen some of the pictures of the dogs that Robin has cared for and they are remarkable and she is remarkable. Robin's work in this field has not only touched the hearts of countless animal lovers, but has also gone viral, gaining recognition far beyond her local community. Robin's artistic talents extend far beyond the lens. She has also received acclaim as a painter and a writer. Her artistic expressions serve as a powerful means of self-discovery and healing, a testament to her resilience and determination. In addition to her creative endeavors, Robin has a background in psychotherapy, which uniquely informs all of her creative work. She has helped individuals work through complexity in their own lives by drawing from her own experiences with lifelong struggles of anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and addiction. In recent times, Robin has embarked on an intense healing journey. She's finding solace and transformation through a combination of therapy, the innovative use of ketamine, and painting and journaling. Robin's story serves as an inspiration to others facing similar challenges, demonstrating that recovery and self-discovery are attainable through art and therapeutic means. Since we met, Robin and I have become fast friends. We share a common professional background in psychotherapy. So we often compare notes about our training, our education, our experience, our professional lives as therapists, and now how we have both reinvented ourselves have both gone through various degrees of healing through very different ways, in fact. And so I have enjoyed getting to know Robin, and I'm still getting to know her story. I'm so honored that she is willing to share a piece of it with us today. And so it is my pleasure and my honor to introduce to you Robin Arruti. <gasps> Hi, Robin. Robin. Can you hear me? I can. Hello. I can hear
1: you and I can see your gorgeous hair.
0: Thanks. You are so cute. Welcome to the World of Warriors. Oh my
1: goodness, it's so nice to be here.
0: I'm so glad that you're here. Um, You know, you and I met with a shared background as former therapists. We were both therapists in a past life. Mine more recent than yours. um, But I love how we are aligned in how we have reinvented ourselves We have found a path through our own healing, through our own process, which is not a done thing, right? We're not healed. Um, You know, I've been working on my journey for a couple of decades. You are, I think you told me you're about a year in, right? And so, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that everybody is in a different place on their journey. But you and I, regardless of the time we've been doing our work, we have both found ways to help people step into their fullest lives, into their greatest lives through what has saved us, right? And so um, I would love if you would just share a bit, like whatever you're comfortable with, just share a bit of your story. Um, Do you want to talk about being a therapist? Like when were you a therapist and when did you leave and why did you leave?
1: Okay um did i make you cry already no uh (laughs) you know i i was like i didn't even say anything no it's a makeup thing like this is not my norm so i you know i glammed up for you so uh whatever anyway um so gosh my undergrad was in radio television and film i don't know if you knew that or not Mm -mm. and so i worked in radio for a little while um And then I worked for some food manufacturing companies. And then during that time, I was doing some volunteer work with Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Crisis Hotline. And there were a series of events and just that little whisper saying like, you, I was always like the one that everybody, you know, came to talk to and, you know, and I was very much a caretaker back then. And um, I just thought, You know, and then I I thought at the time I was blessed with like the perfect childhood. So I should go, uh, go get my master's in psych and, you know, be of service to other people, blah, blah, blah. So this, so I graduated after four years part time, um, with my master's in psych in 2000. And I actually worked for Best Foods at the time, which Unilever bought them out at the end. So it was like everything kind of, Came to an end, you know, my corporate America thing, which I was so excited to just go bye bye. And then I went right into um, working at an inpatient psychiatric hospital with children and adolescents. I know. Yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you
1: know, yeah. Individual. A lot of similarities,
0: <laughs> but what? a big shift. I said a lot of similarities, but like, a big shift. Like-
1: So uh, I I worked for two different inpatient psych hospitals with children and adolescents. And then I went into private practice. Um, But I think in total, it was just about five years before I got on to the
2: creative route.
0: How did that happen?
2: Um, I had, I think redecorated,
1: redesigned my private practice office maybe three times over the course of the year. I was real, I just got uh, enamored with like mid-century and vintage design. So I had to get like the perfect sofa and, you know, and uh, I I totally remember one day sitting across from a client who was in distress and uh, I'm not proud of this. I will preface this, but this is the truth of what happened. Um, it And so my inner voice was kind of like a valley girl. And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, what a bummer. But I don't know if I like those pillows on the sofa or not. And I thought in that moment, at the ethical thing to do would be to go on sabbatical, which is what I did.
0: Wow. I yeah. did not know that story. Um
1: There was a lot more to it, of course. And I had dissociation kind of things because... So I guess up until that point I had been to therapy, traditional therapy. I think it was with a psychologist soon after college. Um and she was like, "Yeah, you have generalized anxiety disorder." And then we would sit and do talk therapy and, you know, round and round with all of my thoughts and it didn't do
2: anything. And then um when I was therapist, I went
1: to a practitioner, let's call her, like who did energy healing.
2: And I will tell you one session with her felt like, you know, it could be
1: months in talk therapy to like get that kind of result. And I just remember thinking at the time, you know what, Um, there's something to that. I know that I'm not, I'm not happy in this role. I'm, I'm very, I felt very disgruntled with the whole, you know, like insurance, but the fact that this way that I was operating in the modalities that I knew how I was trained there, I need, I, I need, I needed to go because I knew there was a better way to help people with their healing. I just had no idea. So of course this was like
2: 2005. I'm not good at math so it's a while ago. And um yeah, I just it was like I'll be back if something else shows up. But and then I just went on this
1: wacky uh artist journey. And here wow. and I'm like back. So it's it's a true true moment of gratitude seriously to like be sitting with you because you know, it, a year ago was sort of my rock bottom, you know, and we haven't even started talking about the photography and the rescuing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I've been, I've been humaning (laughs) since I left my practice in 2005, um, the whole time trying to figure out what was wrong with me.
0: Mm.
1: Like, I hate to put it in those words, but like, it feels. So
0: common though.
1: Freeing to say that. So I have, if you haven't noticed, a strong personality. And so I, you know, I just kind of would take over conversations. And, you know, I, I think I was a little intimidating by, you know, to most therapists that I would like go to or whatever. Okay, fast forward. My therapist now, her name is Lori. And I remember talking to her saying, listen, I need someone to call me on my shit. I can't. There's a lot that I can't see. I don't know what it is. I know something's wrong with me. You know, like it was that sort of thing because I had depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And, I, you know, it's just exhausting because here I was 56 years old, struggling. I had my first panic attack
2: when I graduated from the University of Texas during the ceremony in 1988, 1988.
1: Lori has been able to uh, call me on my shit is like one way to put it. The other way to put it is I finally felt
2: safe enough with someone to learn how to become my authentic self, you know? And there's a lot that goes on, but yeah, I really thought, you know,
1: what is wrong with me? And I was like, all the self help books and the, you know, um, toxic positivity shit. And like, I just, yeah, I was gaslighting myself for a long time, you know, like
0: that. I had a mean I have a hard question. Well, maybe it's not hard, maybe okay. an interesting question. This idea that there's something wrong with me. You said I spent a lot of time humaning, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. This was after you had been a therapist. Do you think your training to be a therapist affirmed that there was something wrong with you? You
2: know, I'm getting
1: so much farther away from like labels and diagnoses these days. So, yeah, in the traditional sense, a therapist is going to diagnose you a psychiatrist is going to diagnose you a psychologist is going to diagnose you and then you have this label and you get to walk around with it and like not really totally understand you know but then you create narratives of like what that means and and then it just keeps like piling up right mm-hmm. so by by the diagnosis uh, you know and and the symptoms i was experiencing depression and anxiety and and we can get more into that what that mean you know what that meant for me um it was before, during, and after that i that I thought something was wrong with me to answer your yeah. question i guess yeah. well,
0: and the reason I ask is because my training, I would say as a you know a social worker as a therapist, absolutely you know was in line with the medical model of therapy, right, where there's mental illness. And there are some people who have mental illness and some who don't. And those who come to you who do, here's what's wrong with them. And here's how you treat it. You know, and I think of like, even like dissociation, we were talking about dissociation. I was thinking about this earlier today, that when I was in school, and I learned about dissociation, or, you know, for those who don't know, it's like where you go, you kind of stare, you you lose touch with reality, you know, you just protect yourself. In school, I thought that was terrifying if someone were to dissociate. That meant that they had serious mental illness, that they were possibly schizophrenic. And for me, you know, someone who has a lot of trauma, I just didn't want to be any of those things I was learning about. So as long as I was the caregiver, I wasn't the patient, right? Until I was. Um, But understanding now dissociation is such a gift for trauma survivors. It's your nervous system your brain protecting you um from familiar feelings and when you understand that it's human and it's survival then you can learn how to come back into present but it's so many things that i learned just were so big and scary that aren't anymore like what was big and scary as far as quote unquote mental illness is now what i see is a lot of just humanity
2: mm-hmm. and trauma totally yeah it was just For highly sensitive people
1: born into this world like us uh, who have a creative brain, you know, we went to different places to keep ourselves safe, right? When we were growing up, because the movie that we were seeing of our lives, um, you know, it it just was sometimes difficult to bear. And so, uh, you know, there's only so much that you that your little brain can handle, you know, as it's developing. So it just at one point, you know, will literally shut off and then you just kind of zone out and uh, yeah.
0: So you had your first panic attack at your college graduation. Where did it go after that? What was your journey with depression and anxiety? Because you mentioned addiction too.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, Gosh, where do I even begin?
1: So I didn't really know what was going on during that time, during graduation. I just felt like, oh my God, I'm going to die or I'm going to throw up or I'm going to like do something. It was crazy. And luckily one of my best friends, she wound up behind me and she was using the little uh pamphlet to like fan me off and you know, just sort of like being there for me or whatever, but it was just like the worst thing ever. So anyway, um, I guess I kind of hit the ground running after graduation, you know, it was like important for me to like find a job and da-da-da. But um It would be a couple of years before I would experience start experiencing panic, panic attacks like on a regular basis. Um, Oftentimes they would get sparked by me like uh, in traffic, like going over bridges um, on planes, sitting in the middle of a row, like at a Broadway show, you know. So it was that sort of trappedy you know, out of control, da, 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 da. So, you know, up until the past year, I guess most of my comprehension of all this stuff was from the neck up, right? Because, you know, I had, I, I just, I didn't feel things, right? I just it all got shut down. I was just numb because in my family growing up, like I didn't learn about emotions and feelings and there wasn't like an emotionally supportive parent, not even one of them, you know. And so um it's just that was the product of like trying to figure it out on my own. And so when again, when you're highly sensitive and when you're creative, like You're going to create narratives and stories about your life and about the thoughts that are running through your head and what that means and da-da-da. And your body is going to act accordingly. And so panic attacks and depression and anxiety are the response of the thoughts that are going through your head, you know? So, uh, yeah, it just was like you're... When you're on autopilot and you're trying to, like, you know, reach your goals and become, you know, get this job and get this boyfriend and get this, you know, do all the things, it's, it's a total autopilot type thing. And it wasn't until, you know, a year ago that I sat down and started, like, really hashing some of this stuff out.
0: Yeah. yeah. What, what sparked that? You said your rock bottom was about a year ago. What sparked that? Because it sounds like, and I, you know, we're, you know, we're fast friends. We became fast friends, but we're still getting to know each other. I'm curious, what did, what did that look like and what made you make the decision? Because it sounds like you've done therapy off and on for a long time. You've been humaning, as you said, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like you've been on a different journey this past year. So can you walk us through how that started and how it's going?
1: Okay, so I had been on antidepressants for 15, 20 years, and they were prescribed by a friend of mine who is a psychiatrist who I worked uh, with at the the inpatient hospitals, right? So every three months, I was going in for my med check, and it was like, hey, what's up? Have you talked to so-and-so? And it was just like very light and, you know. And then... I guess about a year and a half ago, I went to her and I was like, I don't feel great. Like, I don't know, just, I don't think my meds are working anymore. And so she said, okay, well, let's try something else. So it was the same appointment. Like we kept trying different stuff. So fast forward six months of that. And I'm having lunch with a friend who tells, she mentioned something about her psychiatrist and that um, she just you know, thinks the world of her. And she's on this combination of meds that she's just feeling better that she's, you know, has
2: in a long time. And something thought, you know, I thought, let me get a second opinion. So um, I went to
1: her and, you know, after like an hour and a half, two hours, she looked at me and she said, okay, so you've been on 10 plus antidepressant SSRIs for the past year
2: and nothing's worked. You have treatment resistant anxiety and depression. And have you ever heard of ketamine? And I was like, so to answer, to go back though, like, you know, I was very,
1: it was hard to get out of bed. It was, uh, it was hard to work, you know, luckily." I have the most amazing assistant who was literally like running my business and I would show up for the photo shoots and then go back to my bed, you know, like, and from social media and from out, you know, like people would never have known this, like, cause I was really good at, you know, I guess I'm like a natural actress or whatever. Like I just put on a good show, but I was literally like zoned out, you know.
0: Well, thank so, you for being honest about that, because I think that's very common that we all, if we're on social media, we're wrestling yeah. with.
1: You show your wanna, best stuff, right?
0: Yeah. And it's not to pretend to be someone else, but it's also, there's so many reasons, right? We don't want to burden people. We, it's not the appropriate place often. It's not our therapy. And so, you know, but I think when we can come back around from behind and say, looking back, if you looked yeah. at my content, you wouldn't have known I was suffering. And that's so significant. So just thank you for saying that. Um, so
1: what happened was it was a combination of, I think the medicine stopped working at the same time that I was going through menopause. So that's another mm-hmm. whole can of worms, right? Menopause that we don't, a lot of people don't talk about. It's so taboo, all this kind of stuff. And, um, so yeah, I don't know how much you want me to talk about like what happened after that because
2: a lot happened. Yeah.
0: You, whatever you want to talk about, it's not, you know, it's whatever you want to talk about.
2: Um,
1: I will tell you that my follow-up appointment with her, with this, this psychiatrist was like, um, 3 months later and I started the ketamine right away. I was totally afraid but I found people who had done it and I found out where I should go and then I had a therapist who was ketamine informed and somatic experience uh trained and you know all all of the buzzwords that I just kept hearing like at that time that I should get somebody who looked like this as far as a therapist. I didn't know what any of it fucking meant. I really did not but I found her, thank God. And so anyway, about three months later, like it, the work that I was doing, which was therapy twice a week with her and ketamine infusions, which to date over the past year, I've done nine, but they have you do six over the course of like two to three weeks. So it's like you hit the ground running. So I walk in, no, uh, the psychiatrist, her name's Norma. She comes out to the lobby to get me.
2: And um, I'm like, hi, Norma, da, da, da. And she, st- she totally stopped her attraction. She goes, wait, who are you? Like, she literally did not recognize me and, you
1: know, was joking around, but put put out her hand to, like, shake my hand and go, it is nice to meet you. And then had this huge grin as I'm telling her, uh, you know, of what happened over the course of the last three months and all the things that I learned and, da, 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 da. and she was like, couldn't believe it. Wow. And she was like, I don't need to see you until I need to see you. And so I got off the Adderall. I got off. Yeah. So talking about addictions, you asked me about that earlier. Uh, definitely. Well, there was cigarettes. And Adderall and as far as addictions, that's the main stuff. But then social media and scrolling and then shopping, you know, the whole, yeah, addictions.
2: Mm -hmm. So I'm still working on a couple, but the smoking's gone, the vaping's gone, the, yeah.
0: So I have to ask, this is, I think is so important where we don't really talk a lot about is this from point A to point B, right? This, this whole podcast is dedicated, you know, and filled with people with amazing stories like yours where they've come out of the dark into the light, if you will, for lack of better terms, right? They've yeah. suffered and now they're thriving. They were checked out, now they're living. They were suicidal and now they're trying to keep other people alive. But somewhere in there, we have to make a decision. We have to choose. And I always say a warrior is someone who chooses to fight for themselves before they fight for everyone else. What made you decide that you wanted to fight for yourself, that you wanted something different?
1: There's like so many ways I could answer you with that. But the first thing that came to mind was... A few months into my therapy, which literally is trying to, I was in crisis, right? So the first few months is like, let's just, you know, try to scrape her off the floor. It took a little while to start talking about inner child stuff. So I don't like that term. My therapist and I agreed, like, we don't even like our, inner, like, what? And I was like, don't even talk to me about that shit, you know? And then one day I said to her, I just wanted to talk more about it. So I said, um, I don't even know what to say, blah, blah, blah. So it, I had started writing at that point. I I stopped writing for a few years. I stopped painting for a few years leading up to this point. So I'm I'm starting to journal and I'm like, dear, you know. So I started calling. I named her Little Ra. Little Ra. Oh, there's pictures of of her over here.
0: Isn't she cute? Oh, she's yeah. so cute, Little Ra. So that's Little Ra. So for our listeners, there's a beautiful picture of Robin's younger self. Thank you so, for sharing that. Sure. But that's who you're fighting for.
1: So but this is really cool and it's going to tie into the dog stuff and you'll like it. So during that session, um, you know, when, when I was like, I don't know what to say, I don't know. And she goes, you know how you talk to your dogs? And I was like, yes. And she goes, just start like that. Mm. Cause I was like, I didn't know what nurturing meant and all that. Like I missed a lot of stuff. I missed the memo. So I was like, okay. So I started writing her, and it just was like stream of conscious, right? You just have to start somewhere, like, hey, what's up? I I guess it's been a while, like, you know, you know, you just start like, so then she taught me that the way that I can access her, because because this is what she learned, was to put, she puts her hands on her chest and speaks to her right because anxiety really is your your the younger version of yourself going hello notice me notice me i mean anxiety like everybody wants to push anxiety away but what are you doing you're pushing away the little girl you're pushing away the little child you know like would you do that to an actual child neglect a, a, a child or push her away or yell or you know ignore her? no and so but that's essentially what you're doing until you start breaking it down and going okay and so if when I started feeling anxious, yeah, it would be like, okay, talk to me. What do you need from me in this moment?
0: Yeah, that's so profound. In the Enneagram coaching that I do, it's trauma-informed, but it's essentially very similar to that. It's, you know, how old do you feel? And when we revisit that story, it is, what do you need? Because that's what we need now. And we're, you know, coming at it from Slightly different directions, but it's, it's cool. all the same. Yeah. Well, and
1: that's, I had been, I had a library full of self help books. I watched every episode of Oprah. And like, until something speaks to your soul in the way that it's supposed to, in the timing that is
2: right for your particular journey, it, you know, it's just like, And so it
1: didn't happen for me till 56 years old. So it's fine, you know, because I get to live the rest of my life on my terms. It's me and little RA against the world now. Like we are, you know, we're tight.
0: Yeah. And so compassionate. You cannot condemn or judge yourself into healing. And I love to hear your compassion for yourself. It's so powerful. And imagine, I, I didn't hear any of that. I mean, compassionate listening, being compassionate with clients, yes. But the most I ever heard for myself to be a good clinician was, and, you know, you might want to check out some therapy yourself. There was never like, mm. be compassionate with yourself so that you can be compassionate with others. I didn't have any of that and I know that it's changing. Right. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But you and I just have such a shared experience of what we've learned and what is actually working and how we're thriving is not from old school psychotherapy.
2: Mm -mm. Now we were, you know, like supposed to be these healing machines or something. I don't know. Heroes. Not so much.
0: Right. Exactly. So tell us about the dogs. Where did the dogs enter your beautiful story?
2: So, um,
1: okay. So Maya, Maya, can you see my tattoo?
0: Yes. Cute. Uh
1: So she was a Jack Russell Terrier, Chinese crested Mix. So Chinese Crested is the funky hairless dog, right? And I adopted her when she was four months old at this shelter, like in 1996. So it was like before, you know, rescue and adoption was really cool. And I just, I don't know, I went to go visit and then she just like lit up my world. I knew it was exactly so. It was uh, just she and I for a while. And then I got her, I adopted another dog named Bo so that she could have a buddy, but she was just obsessed with me, and then he was obsessed with her, and it was it was fine. We were a nice little family, but um so fast forward I was see this is hard because um I was a therapist and then I started an eBay store. Because remember, I told you I was into the vintage and mid-century furniture and lighting. and, And so I was dating this guy that was a furniture picker. And so he would come home every day, literally with the back of his truck filled with all these treasures from the day. And I was like, here for it. Well, somebody had to learn photography to put cool pictures on the eBay store so that we could go on and sell... This stuff to interior designers all over the world, which is what happened.
0: Are you kidding me?
1: It fucking took off. It was insane. It was insane. So I went on sabbatical, right? Because the eBay store took off. Well, I was literally teaching myself photography in the living room with three hot lights and a point-and-shoot Canon PowerShot point-and-shoot camera. So what happened was, I was, you know, so... I hate to you, you say OCD, but like I just was a, being a perfectionist about trying to get the lighting right, and blah blah blah. Well, what happened was like my eBay store became this portfolio for my product photography. So people were going there and then hiring me to photograph the products for their websites. So that's how that started.
0: That's amazing.
1: It was cool. Well. So I'm in the living room and I'm taking pictures of, you know, the sofa, the chair, whatever. And Bo and Maya started getting up on the furniture all the time because they just they wanted did. to wait. So I had a lot of pictures with, you know, my the stuff I was selling, but they were on it. So that's how the dogs on furniture kind of happened. But pretty soon after that, I started volunteering for the big animal shelter at Houston called Bark. And nobody had ever um taking pictures of the adoptable pets and stuff. It was really, you know, it was like a high kill rate. It was very much animal uh, dog catcher type mentality, you know, uh, back then. And so um, I started, I just brought my camera up and then um, teamed up with a magazine at the time. And then there was this writer that would do these like very funny off color um, descriptions of the pets. And, People started, I and I posted to Facebook. So this was early on Facebook, like 2009. And we started getting dogs adopted out of the shelter. And it was just like, I was hooked. I was like, this is the coolest thing in the freaking world. So then I was on my whole rescue journey and photographing adoptable pets. But then what happened was people started going, could you take pictures of me and my dog? And I was like, okay. And so I didn't have a studio then, but I just, I would go scout the crustiest, most cool urban locations. And I didn't like to do the same location twice. So it was very fresh and new. And these women would just be like, okay, you just tell me where and when. And they would show up with their dog and their six inch heels. And it was crazy. Um, And then the summer hit in Houston. And so I was like, I got to figure out, you know, how I'm going to do this. And so that's when the studio came. And now I'm like in my fourth or fifth. Because for studio. those who
0: don't know, it's like 300 degrees in Houston. in the summer. For sure. <laughs> wow. So one thing,
1: yeah. So like six weeks later, I had this full-time, you know, accidental career that I never planned.
0: Well, I mean, it just seems like so much of what you do, just takes off. Like when you, I think this is true for all of us, but you are such a great example of it. When you are true to yourself and in your essence, it just takes off. Right. And you don't fight it. And so the eBay thing, the eBay store just took off. You didn't have a plan to have a successful eBay store. It just like it happened. And then you're volunteering with dogs and you start taking pictures and then boom, it happens. And I want you to also talk about the story that you wrote for your friend, the, the oh. article called I died today. People need to know about that.
1: Oh boy. So, um, I, I want to say though, back then I called it, I refer to it as following my heart. That's just like, I, I didn't know what else to call it, but it was like this inner knowing like of what I was supposed to do next. And I really, back then, yes, there was 10 solid years of everything I touched turned to gold. It just, because people were not doing, I made pet photography a thing in town, you know, and then my work started to be seen, you know, internationally and nationally and da, da, da. And part of it was in uh, 2014, what you're referring to. One of my friends had a dog named Duke. He called him Dookie and he was a black lab and he had three legs because one of them was removed from a previous cancer diagnosis. And another cancer had come and we were in touch and she said, um I remember being on a three-way conversation and one of our friends had just started a uh she was a veterinarian and they were doing at-home euthanasia. And this was kind of a new thing. That new concept back then, right? Because when you put your dog down, you you take them to the vet and da da da, and it's like fucking traumatic. It just is. So now they're doing it, you know, in the comfort of the uh, you know their home. And so anyway,
2: um, I asked her, would it be okay to bring the camera? And she said, sure. So when I walked into their home, it was like this
1: party atmosphere it's very hard to explain but at the first thing i saw was this pyramid of cheeseburgers on the kitchen counter and then there were neighbors there and some other friends and then here was you know dookie uh and it was like this total celebration of his life and then the kids came over and they were feeding him the cheeseburger and the fries. And so I just was really like, I want to capture this day for my friend. It was like a love token, you know? So anyway, we wound up talking to the vet. We wanted, We decided we wanted to take him to this like neighborhood park. And it was like a splash park for like one last hurrah because he loved going there.
0: Sure.
1: So the vet pulls up when we're getting ready to leave and uh, we said, could, could we do this at the park
2: instead of at mm. the house? And she was like, I will follow you. Mm. So uh, so that's what happened.
1: And I that night I went home and I was sitting with the pictures and I was listening to Mary J. Blige, I don't know, talk about like, there's certain music that you, your soul co- connects to. And she just when I wanted to really, really feel and be in the moment back then, I would listen to Mary J. And so I'm going through the pictures and then the words, they didn't come here. They just were like being whispered to me mm. and in the simple form as if Dookie was telling the story of the day. So if you go look on my website, you know, it's just very simple and uh, sort of quotes from him under each Mm -hmm. picture. So I shared it and then um, lo and behold, other people started sharing it and it spread like wildfire. And I would say it took about five-ish days and it went viral and I was being contacted by like media, you know, news things. We were on inside edition. Like it was like, it was wacky. Um, and so Jordan was Dookie's mom. And so she and I would be like doing these interviews together and all this kind of stuff. Well, back then, uh, I didn't, I lacked confidence and I did not want to be seen. And so all of this kind of this viral business took me by surprise and what happened was it was getting posted everywhere the story well every it was so relatable that it was making people uh comment with their stories of their losing their pets right and it was making men all over the world cry like i mean this thing came with warnings we were on eight is it hln the thing and they said you know make sure you do your tissues, you have tissues ready. And so it felt like this like global group therapy thing that I, again, I did not, I just wanted to do something nice for my friend. And then there was this pressure from like, I hired this PR firm to like help me navigate all this media stuff. Cause I just was like overwhelmed. And they were like, well, what do you want to promote? You know, you got to tell us what do you want to, you know? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I and they were like, you know, like, so that you can make money and da da. I was like, I don't even get what you're. I don't have anything to promote. I just I'm in Houston and I take pictures of people on their pets. And I did this as a favor. And they were like, they didn't know what to do with me. So anyway, after that is when the depression really started to set in. Mm.
2: After that whole viral experience, yeah. Yeah, and then it just went until last year. Wow! So yeah, how, span of years, 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 like 10, five. Um. So this was two thousand fourteen.
0: Okay, so like eight, yeah, it's a long time to suffer. Yeah. Have you, Robin? Have you been able to make a connection? to what got triggered with the depression after that viral experience. We live in a world where we're literally raising children to want to go viral. Right But let's talk about, I love that. You're so honest about here's what really happens. (laughs) Um, It's overwhelming. Everybody starts to have opinions, money gets brought into it. Like, do you know what triggered from that experience to feeling so empty
1: um fundamentally i did not feel comfortable in my own skin mm. i did not feel
2: safe in my body or in the world oh. so when the world came knocking peace out out I don't know how to deal with this.
1: I don't want you to see me. I, I was hiding behind the camera, and I felt very safe with dogs and hiding behind the camera. Get the fuck away from me with all this shit. Yeah. Wow. But can I can put it into words to you today?
2: Mm-hmm. Could I back then? No. No. And I didn't. I didn't necessarily seek treatment back then.
1: I mean you you do it when you're when you're ready, and I mean, I think for so many people, it's when you hit rock bottom, whatever that you know kind of looks like, but like to be able to say like I don't feel comfortable in my own skin and to like come to that realization and again, the ketamine
2: helped me do that, and that's another whole maybe we can do like a part two and talk about that, but um I was just unaware of why i felt the way that i did for like ever did that answer your question
0: yeah so the ketamine if you want to say just a little bit about how that process works because a lot of people probably don't even know what that is
2: so ketamine is
1: well they used it um I think with horses and dogs as like a tranquilizer. And I think also as, is it called like an anal, um, It for children like in the ER,
2: uh, but it's a dissociative drug. And in smaller doses through the infusion.
1: So there's a couple of different ways that they administer it, which is now approved by the FDA to help with, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And my, and my diagnosis now is CPSD, PTSD, which doesn't surprise you, I'm sure.
0: Um, But do you want to explain what that is?
1: um, Complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which again, we could have, we could talk for three hours about this, you know, Um, post-traumatic stress disorder is Not necessarily the trauma, only the trauma that happens to you in your childhood, like if there would be a fire or divorce or death or something like that. It's what you needed that you didn't necessarily receive in the way of, you know, emotional support or feeling safe or, you know, just whatever. So, um, yeah, complex. Maybe you should say what, what CPTSD is like, you could probably give a better definition than I could.
0: Yeah. Well, my understanding is CPTSD is more of the chronic, ongoing traumatic experiences, whether they are overt or covert, meaning obvious or more subtle that happen over a period of time that are prolonged or multiple forms of trauma.
1: So the ketamine, um, I opted for infusions, which was a needle that went in my hand and then the drug is administered that way. But there's also companies like Mind Bloom and Joyous that do a home sort of and virtual meetings with the doctors. And it's like a lozenge and um, it's it's a much smaller dose and you kind of titrate up or whatever. But uh, when you do the infusions, they are it's. It's about an hour. And so you're in kind of a small, pretty basic room on a recliner. Um, you are the it, the doctor that owns and runs this infusion clinic in Houston is an anesthesiologist. Okay. So she's very medically minded. Unfortunately, they were not as psychology And therapeutically supportive minded, as I would like to see, and as other ketamine clinics around the country are. So, luckily, I had my therapist who actually had experienced ketamine from her PTSD after fleeing Hurricane Harvey with her three dogs and then losing everything her home and everything. So, she Uh, and she doesn't mind me saying that but she did the the uh mind bloom treatment for ketamine and it was very successful so it was amazing to have somebody who like had already experienced this right so um i was you know my anxiety was like through the roof i got the doctor talking to me about all this medical stuff i really don't know what to expect I'm there with my BFF who's like holding my hand and the doctor presses the button before I knew she was. So I felt a little strange and I said to her, did you start it? Anyway, this is a, it's a horrible story to tell, but it's the truth of what happened. So I went in a full blown panic attack during my first ketamine session and I was hysterical and it was, it was maddening. And I do not know how, but I went back for the second one. It took every bit of strength. Cause I just like, I had, I had this much hope and I just, I went and I said, listen, so that was like too high of a dose or like something. And you got to tell me when you're going to press the button. And then it was like,
2: I started observing myself, like, "Oh, you're telling her how you feel. You are. You have needs, you know." And so, you know, the ketamine starts
1: growing new uh, neuro pathways in your brain, like changes the physical properties of your brain. And so, after the first dose, the first session. I was already seeing like my perceptions start to change overnight. It was insane. So this was, you know, without even doing any therapeutic work, which of course, that just sped things up even more. Mm -hmm. So she goes, okay, I'll tell you what, I want to keep the same dosage, but I'm going to do it over a longer period of time. So we're going to do 60 minutes at this dose. How do you feel about that? And I was like, okay, I guess we'll try it. So anyway, that was much better, but I still, every session, all of the nine were very different. Most of them, I was crying from the depths of my freaking soul. Mm. I was remembering things I was, you know, uh, it's not going to plant memories that, you know, never happened or whatever. It's just bringing things to the surface that you need to see to heal yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, I knew that I was going to have to like be really brave and weather this storm, but I had no idea how brutal the work was going to be. I, I, I had no idea. Yeah. There is no quick fix with the work. There's no quick fix to yeah. healing. There's no quick fix to, um, Moving on from anxiety,
2: depression, and panic attacks, there's just not the only way out is through. Yeah. 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 Well,
0: for the record, I have zero experience with ketamine. And so I am certainly not an expert, but I've had a lot of questions for you. I have been fascinated by your experience. And partly because, you know, we do, we live in a world, we live in a society that, does want to give us the quick fixes, right? Like anything from you need better mascara to a bigger house or a bigger car to this alcohol, try these drugs. You know, drugs and alcohol are sexy and normal. And like you said, the only way is through even pharmacology through traditional, you know, site, you know, psychiatry, there's, I think, the the attempt to change your brain chemistry so that you don't feel what's causing your suffering. But what you're describing and what we've talked about is very, very different. It's ketamine is not a bandaid. It does not make you not feel. In fact, it opens up the pathways in your brain to be able to feel safe enough to recognize, Oh my gosh, I have feelings. I have a need. I have a voice. I have to ask for what I need, which is probably tied to your story. Right. And so I just, I just wanted to kind of clarify again, I'm not an expert, but I find that fascinating because we live in a world that says shut that down. Don't yeah. feel it. You deserve better. And, and we're, you know, we have so many people. So, and I was one of them walking around anxious, terrified, angry, angry, you know, intoxicated, whatever, just trying to not have to think about our experiences.
1: We wanted to numb our pain. So the addictions, the, even to a certain extent, the SSRIs, you know, the psychotropic meds are, they just like numb you out. So we're just a bunch of like zombies, like walking around, not really dealing with the true, true essence of You know, that the pain that brought us to that point, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I want to,
0: I do want to clarify because you and I have such common experiences, but also I want to, you know, just like what you said, the only way through is through. And also, there's certainly nothing wrong. Like, we're not here to say you shouldn't do, you know, psychiatry or you shouldn't do therapy. Like, that is not the message. And it's, but it is a journey. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think, I don't think we're ever ready to go from, Dark suffering to liberation, right? Overnight, like you said, there's no quick fix. And for me, it did start with my first therapist, and it evolved over the years to you know a few different medications, and then it was coaching, and then it was trauma work and narrative therapy, and you know, and it's just it's a process. So I just I just wanted to be clear, like we're not here saying like this is the only way just give yourself permission to do what works for you and be fluid and be flexible and be curious.
2: I think the message is what
0: works for you.
2: There are, there are all different kinds of ways. We're at a time where, uh, luckily we have a choice but we also have to be our own advocate, right? Because doctors aren't perfect,
1: psychiatrists aren't perfect, therapists aren't perfect. I mean, I hadn't done my work, but I was treating people. I mean, luckily I was able to be effective still in the state that I was in. Denial. But um, you know, anyway, we have choices. Something is better than nothing. You keep trying things until something worked. I mean, like in retrospect, like I had been trying different things until, yeah, something finally worked. Something spoke to me. Um, It just, it worked for me. That's not to say like, I'm not a guru and I'm not saying like, do A, B, and C. I just know that, uh, especially with the you know FDA approvals for ketamine and now psychedelics are going to be like you know coming. I really think that that is going to be the future of psychology. Traditional talk mm-hmm. therapy, I think, is going to go by the wayside. Sorry, but
0: yeah, that's sorry what I believe. Sorry.
1: <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Hey,
0: yeah, I think yeah. you know when when I because I again I've gone through the whole process both as a client and a professional, mm-hmm. and I think they is a place for talk therapy i think it can be effective depending on what your goals are and from my experience on both sides of the couch if you will um when especially when you have trauma or you have complex trauma we need more we need more than talk therapy because if you think about what happens in our nervous system right you enter a story, you enter a traumatic experience, and you're only talking about it, that can be dangerous. And if you're in a traditional therapy model where you get, you know, 56 minutes, because that's what your insurance will cover, then that can be dangerous. And that was one of probably the worst feelings I ever had as a therapist, was having someone on the couch, in tears, or in terror, or in anxiety, because we were working through something, and I had to stop. And so when I started my coaching, I just swore I would never do that again. I don't, I don't time anything anymore. Um, I mean, I have some semblance of a schedule, but I don't have stacked, you know, appointments with clients back to back because for that very reason, um,
1: I used to do several appointments in, in one day, you know, like I had a lot of energy and I was just like having so much fun and, you know, next appointment, next appointment, next appointment. Cause I was doing a lot of fundraising for rescue groups to help them, you know, offset their costs, you know, for medical treatment for dogs, abandoned, abused, and neglected dogs, da, 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 da. Fast forward. Now I realize so much more in the way of like sensitive, dog loving, dog obsessed people who come to me who want portraits of their pets and art, you know, for their walls, like with their, their dog and their family. I know that we need to take time when they first come because they were like just in traffic or they were trying to get ready or, you know, and then the dog's going crazy in the car and, you know, all this stuff. So we have like, natural uh what is it um essential oil diffuser and nice music playing and we literally like I get down on the floor and I'm like just playing with the dogs and stuff so that everybody can decompress for a good twenty minutes before the photo before you even like move wow. into the light lights in the other room and stuff. So everybody just kind of like feeling safe and comfortable and we get better pictures for it, you know. So my my worlds have collided in all the ways for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. Beautiful. And I think I think people experience, although I don't speak about this, I guess, in my marketing or whatever. But I think it's a healing experience for a lot of client. You know, my photography clients. Um, the experience of coming for a photo shoot. I've never really, you know, put it outwardly
2: in those words before, but people tell me in a roundabout way that, yeah, yeah they just, sure. they felt some kind of way about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love, I mean, I love how your professional and your personal background infuse and impact. Yeah. And, you know, even empower your work as an artist. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the profound things to, you know, I had told you I, I I had a podcast interview with someone who was a musician who's now a therapist, and you and I were therapists and now we're doing other things and you're, you know, I just I think it's important that we all understand we can do so many different things. So we are not locked into this one path. And in fact, I think the more open we are, like you said, follow your heart. You know, when you were following your heart. You don't know what's coming next. And it, there's always going to be something coming next. Whether, you know, most people are saying the, the next is the other shoe's gonna drop, like something bad's gonna happen. And, you know, life does happen and tragedy happens. And that's, you know, part of being alive in a human, you know, existing in a human world. Um, but when you're open to it and you follow your heart and you're fighting for yourself and you're caring well for yourself and you're using your voice and you're healing your trauma. The world opens up like I don't have scientific data for it, but I see it every single day. You know, people are like, oh, I thought, you know, I, I got that promotion. Of course you did, because look what you've been doing. You've been working. You've been connecting with that inner child. You've been loving yourself. You've been, you know, working out and, and telling yourself every day that you matter. Yeah of course the world's opening up. So I just I
1: used to call it following my heart, but now I say that I'm in alignment, which I know that you feel the same way.
0: And I literally like, just texted you that word before. Our call. I know. Let's be and
1: I just feel like a meeting, a meeting all of these people lately, like these soulmates, like you like left and right are just like floating in going, okay you know you did the work to put your life in alignment for your greater purpose on you know this earth and so yeah. once you do that everything falls into place cuz it's not you're not supposed to have all of the plans up here you're supposed yeah. to shut the fuck up slow down and listen to the messages And the, the, you know, because you've got everything that you need, it just, it gets laid out. Mm. It just just gets laid out. And so, you know, here we are.
0: Robin, thank you so much. I love your story. And I look forward to just this new friendship that we have and getting to know you and your story and your healing process and just learning more about your gifts we've already talked like i hope to make it to texas and it would be amazing if i could bring our dogs a warrior is someone who fights for themselves first what do you do on a regular basis do you have any non-negotiables do you have daily practices how do you stay in alignment with yourself with your beliefs
1: yes and yes and yes all of the above so uh i definitely have compassion and patience for myself now. I don't judge myself anymore. Like I'm a, I'm a former mean, there was a mean girl. Like I think I was outwardly kind of a mean girl, but then there was a mean girl that was living in my head too. And she would judge, you know, um, everything I would say and do and the way I looked and, you know, I I could not, I couldn't get past her and now but it took a while for me to even become aware that she was there so she's not there anymore um and i i definitely like i don't i'm not negative there's no negative talking to myself that's not permitted you know so
0: I love that
1: yeah Good so yeah that, that is,
0: is the work of a warrior for sure
1: yeah that's one big old thing Um, I mean, I do things like exercise and journal and light candles and incense and do vision boards. And, you know, um, I, I spend time with people who bring me joy and I, you know, I say no now, like if that, if it doesn't feel good, like in my body, when I get the invitation and I go, okay, do I want to do that? Like, and if the answer is no, I just, say thank you but you know can't make it or whatever and I have no fucking guilt about it at all
0: yeah well I think that's how we became friends was you I think you literally said to me like I listen to my body and I feel the energy and I like what you're I like your vibe I like what you're doing and I just like the energy I feel and I want to know more and I was like I like that you pay attention to how you feel because that's what I do
1: and do, yes, and do we want to say, so you had interviewed Kimberly.
0: Mm-hmm. Kimberly Shannon Murphy. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I had recently read her book, Glimmer.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was obsessed with her and her book. And I've just like, you know, you have to pay attention to the signs, right? And I'm like, okay, you know, some dots are connecting. And then then I started like going down your Kim rabbit hole. And I was like, is this bitch? Oh my God. She's amazing. Yeah. So then, and then here we are.
0: Oh, you're cute. You're making me blush. Who is <laughs>
1: yeah. So funny. Uh, did I answer that question?
0: You did. You okay. did. And, you know, I, I think it's important, right? Because I think sometimes we do think it has to be this big, um, you know, transformational experience. And it's like, let's exercise, let's journal, let's spend time with people who fill our yeah. cup. And you know but I'm present
1: what's... like I'm right here with you in this moment but when you have anxiety and you have all that judging and negative self-talk and stuff and like the the negative loops in your head and stuff like you are on autopilot you are right. not I am not with you right now in this moment that's why a lot of people with anxiety or who dissociate um don't have a lot of memories. Don't remember a lot from childhood because they were so busy in that fight or flight mode. Oh, you want to see Clark?
0: I do want to see Clark. My God. Clark. Oh my God, Clark! Look at him. He's like he knew the kisses were coming.
1: It's my happy place.
0: He's so I love him cute. so
1: much. Again. If there's somebody
0: listening to this, you have to go to the YouTube and watch this part of the interview because Clark is freaking handsome. He's so cute. He's such a lover. You can tell that's his happy place too. You can tell yeah. this is where, he's like perfect. this is not the first time he's just like, yeah, hold me, kiss me. Yeah, but, no,
1: this is what we do.
0: That's precious. Yeah. Okay. I have another question.
1: Okay. Oh, and he comes to therapy with me too. Oh, nice. He sits on my therapist's lap and and he listens to what I'm saying the whole entire time. He oh. stays awake and like, yeah, That's just sits precious. on her lap.
0: That's and so she sweet. gets her
1: Clark therapy, she says.
0: That's so sweet. Yeah. He's precious. He yeah. Precious.
1: I love him so much.
0: Um, okay. So what would you say to someone who maybe wants to shift their career? Maybe they want to go from painting to music or from being an accountant to being a painter or switching anything. Maybe going from being on a big stage to a music studio or, you know, an art studio or something lo you know, like calmer, yeah. smaller. Yeah. What would you say?
2: What would I say? Wow. Um, you
1: know, We all have a terminal diagnosis. Don't wait to start living. If you have whispers and a desire or a motivation to like do something else, turn your, your, uh, you know, side hustle into a job or whatever, like that's not by accident. Those are the whispers of your, um, you know, meaning and purpose, like kind of coming through and like giving you, some people call it the higher self, right? Your inner child, like there were certain things that you liked to do when you were a child before you decided to become a doctor or, like, you know, whatever, because yeah. your parents thought, blah, 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 blah. That's another whole conversation. There's a reason that you have this desire to want to go pivot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So get the support from a coach or therapist or good, you know, loving friends who aren't going to judge you or be negative about, you know, spend time with people who are going to lift you up and support you. Yeah.
0: And go for it.
2: And go for it. Oh, for sure. Go for it.
0: Great, Clarky. Okay. My next, I have one more question. Well, two, but we'll finish it out on this. Um, What would you say as someone who, like myself, who has suffered in silence, who has suffered in the dark, who is now here to talk about it and, you know, spread hope for other people? What would you say? How would you encourage someone? Of course, we have two former therapists sitting here. We are not offering, you know, mental health advice, Mm -mm. but how would you encourage someone who might be listening to this who is suffering? in silence
1: i'm gonna go back to something that i said before because it helped me in the beginning this is not about speeding up to try to like you know you 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 are a hamster on a wheel that's why you feel like shit okay so what you've been doing hasn't been working so the first thing to do is slow down slow down the universe is going to slow your ass down for you with, with an illness or an accident or something like that, because I truly believe that things will manifest in your body if you don't manage it. And so, yeah, slow down. Uh, No judging of yourself, have compassion and patience and grace for what you're going through. Like, Your humaning, you know, your human experience in this moment, it's it's just where you are. It's where you're supposed to be, and it's going to take you to the next level of your journey. So it's, I mean, that's the silver lining, isn't it? Like, because
2: none of the good stuff is like easy. You got to do the hard work if you want something good, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So Robin, you do commissioned artwork, right? Photography and painting. I do. And you're in Houston. Hmm. So how, if people want to work with you, if they want to find your work, if they want to follow you, what's the easiest way for them to find you?
1: I would say on Instagram at Robin Arruti. So it's R-O-B-Y-N-A-R-O-U-T-Y or on my website, com those are the two main places I like to hang
0: out. We have this weird, like social, it's like a social climb, right? You meet, like now you meet online and I mean like, like dating, but that's a thing too. But like we met on Instagram right? and then we upgraded to like, you know, DMS and then it was, then we exchanged phone numbers <laughs> and now it's like, can you text me? And it's, you know, I had a couple of conversations yesterday with some people about that. And it was like, oh, can you actually move this over to email? Yeah. This weird, like relational shifts. via Which platform do we want to talk on?
1: <laughs> I know, it's funny.
0: I just want to thank you for, you know, just saying yes to this invitation, for sharing your very unique personal experience. And I know that it's going to touch people. I love your humor. I love your energy. I love what you're about. And you are a warrior. And I'm also grateful for your friendship. So thank you for being here.
1: I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me. This this has been amazing.
0: Absolutely. And we'll do it again.
1: Thank you.